These tools are for you to use. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. I'm Dave Marr, a comedian who won't shut up about his freaking coma seven years ago, and now I'm talking to all sorts of people to get definite answers about life, death, transformation, memory, you name it. My guest this week is Jacoby Cochran, who is an amazing storyteller he is the host of CityCast Chicago, a daily news podcast, and just a great dude. I find him a very – he was a very easy conversation, fascinating dude to talk to, great voice. I like to think that I have a good you know, podcast, audio, radio voice, but man, uh, this, is the first, this is the first one where I'm like, I think uh, – I think the 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 fans, the listeners are going to be bigger fans of Jacoby than than me at this point, and I will accept that and humbly allow Jacoby to host this show going forward. So uh, until you hear <laughs> what am I talking about, until you hear that uh, Jacoby episode next week, uh, go to his website and his Instagram and the Citycast website in the show notes. You can also support the show and get a bunch of fun extras that can keep you living in the world of these ideas by going to patreon.com slash Dave Marr. I want to thank my Pigeon Level patrons, Fred Fidoa, Susie Carroll, Katie Llewellyn, and Kurt Chang, especially for supporting the show. If you listen in a place where you can review this show, please review it. If you have a friend, tell that friend. And now let's get into this episode of This Is Your Afterlife with Jacoby Cochran. I grab your whip and take it back to Chi-Town. When I'm in Chi-Town, I treat it like I, I want you to paint your hell. A custom hell designed just for you. That's a really good question. Well, the first place my mind went was I'm surrounded by like faceless individuals who are like spewing to me like fallacious arguments, but my mouth is sold and I cannot debate, argue, even give the sarcastic sense that I'm above the foolishness of the argument I'm listening to. I'm just like they're forced to listen to it. Uh, and, and I'm talking about like all types of fallacies. We talk to straw mans and like, you know, uh, appealing to authority, like the, the worst kind. Okay. And, and I, and I can't do anything about it. And so very that, communications professor. Yeah. It's so it's, it's, it's a hell that I I feel like I've, I've lived through and am, am living through often in, in our world, but, but yeah, it's, it's probably that. You know why faceless people? How, like, do you imagine the way in which they're faceless? Do they have hoods? Are I their think mouths sewn. Just no. Is it just? Th- it's just. It's just no face and no discernible voice because there's something about even if it's assumed identity, there's something about like the basics of a person's identity that gives you some information for you to start to to make sense of where these where these fallacies could be rooted. 
like where mm. are they coming from? Like outside of just this is ignorant. And even though you don't want to look at a person's face and hear their voice and how they're making their argument per se, and just like make all of these generalizations about them, it's at times can cloud in some context for you. So you you can assume that someone's like privileged in a certain way and you're like, okay, I get why they would be making this argument. Uh Okay. Yeah. That is, so basically it sounds like a real life version of an internet comment section. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It's just like a problematic internet conversation. And I'm, I'm so proud of myself. I've ne- I don't, I don't respond to comments. I don't feel, I don't feel anything towards them, but I think that's because I can hear myself making the argument against them. But if I was like, sh- like strapped down, I had to listen to an internet comment section, like from across the, the spectrum of what the, the web is. Oh yeah. That's hell. <laughs> is that's- this a thing you hate because you feel compelled Sometimes, like, is this a tendency within yourself that you hate? Um, I I do call myself out when I see myself acting in fallacious ways. When I see myself being compelled by fallacy, like it is, I'm in a lifelong process. Like so many people of of untethering myself from like problematic views and like terrible rhetoric and like crazy worldviews. And I know that's a lifelong process that, that will never come to completion, but as somebody who is a teacher, who's, who teaches logic and, and public speaking, so many students come into the room and I, my heart is so open. My mind is so open to helping them change their minds or work through their views. But, you know, students are such a ripe representation of like the, such a broad, sense of like, what are people in households talking about? What are people mm-hmm. going out mm-hmm. into the world? Because I'm not saying college, but college age, yeah. like that post high school, it's still, you still got years of griminess, figuring yourself out and all these things, but that you really start to become responsible for your own views. And yet you're still so tethered to what's been pumped into you, what's come before you. And so I, as a person who listens to a lot of freshmen, sophomore students, you know, they are at that age where you both cannot fully blame them for the shit that comes right, out of their right, mouth. Right. And yet you want so much to like sit there and work through all of them and help them move through them and help them get to the other side. Cause you're also doing, cause I'm also doing that in my own life. And there are some times when I just know I'm not going to break through to a student or I don't have the time or the <sighs> ability. Yeah. And that's, that is so frustrating to know that, you can't help change someone's mind. And because I know it is, you know, beneath simple logic, it is, it is truly biological. It, it, it frustrates me. So it's, yeah, this hell is not even just like the, it's not just that these people are pure evil. It's, it's Mm -hmm. partially that you want to save these faceless people and also are stuck and can't do that either. Save, interact with, right? Under understand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, is it's it's less save and more engage. I know. I save save is a loaded sort of. But I feel you. But I feel you. There is some saviorness in there. There is there is a belief. I remember one of the things I used to tell my students when I first started teaching. I've stopped doing it since. But I used to say, like in the first day of class, like I know y'all don't fucking know me, and I don't know y'all, but I'm here to change your life. 
I'm hoping by the end of the semester, I've changed your life and the way you see the world. And I know that's a huge burden for a man you ain't never met. And if we was <laughs> on a CTA train, you probably think I was crazy as shit. <laughs> but but I, I, because I've seen my own mind change and, I, and I've seen people in my lives, their minds change. And I also see what, how debilitating, how problematic it is when we can't open our minds, when we can't like take in new arguments and, and and recognizing ourselves problematic things and work to root them out rather than running from them that, you know, it's, I know it's hard and I know it's scary, but it's, it's so necessary for us. And, you know, it's probably at the center of every conflict that there is closed mindedness that's somewhere at the center of it. Well, yeah. And the, and I feel like one way someone else would say what you're saying is it's like, we all need empathy, but there's like a rigor to okay. the empathy that you're talking about. And that's what connects with me is that it's like, cause I used to feel very much like that. Like, why can't people just be more empathetic? And it's yeah. like, yeah, a lack of empathy is, is part of the problem. It's a little bit of individualizing systemic problems, mm-hmm. but, but, and that and rigor yeah. feels like part of where it jumps from individual to systemic. Cause then you're rooting it in yourself. You're bringing it outward to the world. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah, rigorously, um, asserted, you know, I definitely have the, the tendency to like couch what I'm saying, like preface things a million mm-hmm. times, but the benefit of that is occasionally someone I'm prefacing to understands that I'm aware of certain facts of what I'm saying, you know? Yeah. And empathy sometimes ends up being like the individual carbon footprint uh-huh. to, to exactly. like the Exxon oil dumping. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it really isn't just about like, you know, and I don't want people to hear this and just think I'm like, no, we need to open our minds. We need to be kind to each other. We need- yeah, yeah, no, yeah. there is a, the, honestly, the end might be that it is, we are incapable on a very wide mass level to be open-minded, but we need to investigate and, and, and live in that rigor, live in that, that, um, in that fallacy in some respects. And, and yeah, so I, I, I guess that'd be my hell and it, it doesn't look much different than where we are now. What do you hope happens when you die? Like with my remains or like on the other side? Up to oh. you. Well, with my remains, I think I'm in the part of my life where I want to be like become like a tree. But then I just saw this episode of Ted Lasso where they were talking about like having fruit coming from your tree. And I was like, man, I didn't really think about being a fruit tree because that does sound weird. It's like me, my dead body fertilizing some food that someone else eats. It, I know that it is not inherently weird. It just sounds that way. But I'm still in the like turn me into a tree kind of place. Okay. Um See, like in a perfect world, I'd love for there to be an afterlife with like the homies. Um, I try not to like stay in that thought too long because the idea of like eternal and perpetual uh, life is daunting and it is as incomprehensible as, you know, infinity. And and I'd imagine in a very um, like kind of Dante type of way, it'd like be... Uh, really like uh, eventually very numbing over time. 
Uh, but but I would, you know, in a perfect world, I love for there to be a paradise for for family and homies, and you spend eternity walking up your family tree and meeting people, mm. and and yet even that comes because of the world we live in comes down into a a club mentality of who gets in, who gets out, and that again complicates my reality because that's held to such a, a rigid and and um confusing like kind of a hierarchy, like, or a standard. Um, so what I like and what I imagine there is are obviously two very different things, but on a very simplistic level, like a paradise with the homies, family members, um, you know, are there specific homies or family members you imagine being really fun to hang with in the afterlife? Like, are there people <clears throat> not what they could be living or dead, but people mm-hmm. who you're like, who immediately come to your mind when you say the homies. Yeah. Like folks like my moms. Okay. Folks like, um, my, my brothers. Um, I got some best friends who are like truly lifelong friends who, you know, some people from fifth grade and sixth grade who I'm still cool with. And then, um, you know, grannies, you know, I'm, I'm unfortunately I don't have any more grandmothers living. Um, and so that's been a been a hard cycle throughout life, losing grandmas. Um, and and then uh, I, I, I never really imagined celebrities because I just think with the amount of people who die and the number of people who would want to meet like a Tupac, mm-hmm. uh-huh. like uh, um, uh, like a Nina Simone, like I feel like that line would be just so long that I never envision myself meeting uh, celebrities. Well, that's a benefit to eternity, though. Eventually, that line right. thins Eventually, out. Eventually, you know? I get to meet them. Uh, it's that, so funny. I've been coming around on Tupac a little bit recently. I'm I'm woefully undereducated in the music, but mm-hmm. hearing a little bit of the music and hearing Biggie's music the sort of unnecessary dichotomy of those two. I was like, it's Biggie, like no doubt. Right. And then I started seeing, I've been watching hella music documentaries Uh recently and God damn, he is Tupac such a fucking charismatic. I'm like, Oh, I get it. This is, this dude is like a music black Panther type Mm -hmm. dude. It, it really was a like I don't want to operate in binaries, but there right. there was definitely a feel that you know for me because I listen to both folks, uh, you know both Pac and Big very closely. Big for me was definitely more lyrical, definitely mm-hmm, had more mm-hmm. technique, yeah, uh, more varied flows. Probably had a more in depth uh, storytelling. Um, but Pac also has stories. He had a passion. There was a work ethic that you could hear in the music. There was a sense of urgency that you could hear in the music. And, and, and both of them were, you know, products of not only the, the, the patriarchy and the masculinity at a time, they were products of, you know, larger um, conflicts um, that were both, you know, intra communal, but also like pressures that were, put onto them. Like the beef was very much hyped up by the global oh, media yeah, so in, in a way that was uh, very problematic, very toxic and, and led both men to like crazy bouts of paranoia. But well, and that actually yeah. killed people the way yeah, that they you killed, see that killed, portrayed, killed both like, of them. Oh shit. This was like literally media created mm-hmm. death basically. Um, 
you know, and it sometimes it really just come down to which which person did your pops play more in the car? And for me, it was just more Pac being played in the car. And so, um, and I think for me, it's being like a white kid not coming up with the culture. So mm-hmm. those things like lyricism and technicality and storytelling are going to hit me harder and mm-hmm. being a little bit of a punk rock, like anti-capitalist kid seeing them like, I don't know if there's anyone except Che who's had more merch than Tupac. <laughs> um, and so being like, so over all the glitter shirts that this guy has had and being like, just being a little contrarian, like, oh, Tupac's overrated without ever like listening to the music. I, I can understand that. Yeah. The, yeah. the, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. The oversaturation of the, the mm-hmm. Pac brand. I can't even call it the Pac brand because it wasn't, at probably more times than not, it wasn't related to his, uh, to his family, uh, right. and to his uh, estate. But yeah, it was omnipresent growing up. It was everywhere. So, as long as we're on this, do you think about a kind of legacy that you would want to leave? Like, can you imagine people wearing shirts with your face on them? No, no, and I never asked for that. Um, I. If you found out they were, would you be like stoked about it, or would you be like, cut that shit out? Uh, probably cut it out. Okay. Um, I've always, I've always been comfortable in the spotlight, and yet, like, eat, like don't I never go above and beyond. Like you know, like if I'm at a show, I am so present and so open on stage and seemingly so vulnerable. And you would think you, as you're watching, like this dude, let's try to sit down, maybe have a drink with dude or smoke something mm-hmm. with dude afterwards. As soon as that show is over, I'm going out the back door. I'm like going back behind the curtain, going behind the back door, giving my, if when people say things when I'm leaving, it's like hat down kind of duck. Like I appreciate that. Boom, boom. You know, I've won national championships and just kind of like, never took taking pictures of them or posted them. I'm so I've always been a person who just like does the thing and is, and then it's on to the next thing does the thing. And I'm, I kind of feel like that's what my life is. is I'm just like doing the thing in this time that I was dropped in, in the middle of nowhere in the middle of nothingness. Um, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to be as nice a person as I possibly can be. Um, I think I think I am leaving naturally like some sense of an impact because I've had opportunity based on the skills that I have to to talk to people and to be heard by people, which is a is a privilege. Um, And and I'm hoping that I leave people with a sense of, man, Kobe has something to say or he, he, you know, was a cool dude. He was funny, whatever the case may be. Um, But I think that like that hat down after winning the championship mentality is um is it something you stand behind and you feel good about or is it like is any aspect of it like false humility or sometimes i ask because sometimes mm-hmm. in me I've, I've had moments of genuine humility but because mm-hmm. i have to counteract it so much a, a lot of times it's let me be humble because otherwise I just want to sit here and reap all yeah. the praise and get people gassing me up as much as possible. No, I, I asked myself that, um, uh, at one point 
I, I really asked myself, was the humility that you were exhibiting, was it performative as to like be a shield as to like mm-hmm. leave a sort of squeaky clean feeling? And for a while, I thought that that might be the case because I wouldn't I wasn't going to put anything b- beside like past me. I was like, I, I trust that I'm smart enough to like not be an asshole, but also mm-hmm. strategically not be an asshole. But as I've gotten older and the more performances I've done, I've realized that that kind of is my my feel. It is not I'm trying to be humble to not step on toes or not make other people uncomfortable. There is a natural my joy. The, the height of the joy that I feel ends when the thing is done, like when the, when that sometimes when we're doing that storytelling, yeah. the minute I say thank you all for listening, the joy of the moment is is over like the applause doesn't carry me to another place it doesn't continue something the moment that story ends the moment you know i I remember watching a video of like winning a championship and it was like the moment i heard them say it the joy happened it was like i did it boom and now i gotta go through the pageantry of getting it and talking about it and showing it and, and all the things that come with it but like i did it and that that there was nothing there was no higher to go after that moment for me and so it, 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 there is a real sense of, you know, like I'm, I'm more invested in the doing of the work, the, the recording of the podcast and reading the reviews afterwards, um, or, or seeing what the ratings is. I'm, I'm really invested in just like recording it and putting it down. Okay. What about funeral planning? Have you had any thoughts about things you definitely want, definitely don't want, venues, food, <clears throat> music, people, um, anything? No, I, I treat that like a surprise birthday party. Okay, uh, okay. It's like <laughs> um, I will I'll say things like, you know, don't spend a lot of money, don't do these things, but I'll, I'll you know – I'll have like I got life insurance, so if things go okay. terrible tomorrow, there's money to bury me, and I'll leave it to my you know my emergency <laughs> contact, my mom, my close family to decide what to do with that money. Um, but like my family knows, I don't you know I don't need anything elaborate. I never needed huge parties. Uh, I just turned thirty back in April, and my people got on me so bad to be like throw something. And I was like, no, I am content just like sitting on the couch. And yeah. not doing a damn thing. Yeah. And, and same with a funeral. I'm content with being absent from existence uh, and, and, and not, and people not coming to rally. But I, I, there also is an arrogance in me knowing I've touched a lot of people. My funeral is not going to be empty. People is going to show up for the boy. And yeah. so yeah. I can say, make it a small affair. Don't do anything, but it's going to be motherfuckers in that bitch crying. <laughs> They're going to be hurt unless I outlive all these bastards, but they're going to be hurt. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so part of it is uh, a confidence that comes with like, oh, yeah, you, you guys don't have to do anything. But you you already – because you already well, know there's a baseline of mourning yeah. that's going to happen. Yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all going to do something. I, 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 uh, uh, I, I am aware of, of the impact I'm having on the people close in my life because I know – the love we share and I know the conversations we've had. And so, you know, there, there's no amount of me saying, don't do anything that will like, just don't spend a bunch of money on a casket. That shit is a fucking scam. My G. Yeah. No. And don't put me in the ground. Don't fake that. Make me a tree. Y'all throw a party, 
have a good time. Y'all can tell stories, but like, don't do it in a church. Do it around a barbecue with some drinks in somebody's backyard Mm -hmm, or at mm -hmm. the park. Like, you know, plant me in the hood. Like, (laughs) are there, um, are there funerals you've been to that you would want to like steal elements of? That's a crazy question. Gee, my dad's funeral, them niggas play his, um, like a music video that he did when he was like back from back in the nineties when I was like a little kid and that shit was wild. And honestly, I hate it. I hate on it. Anytime I tell the story, <laughs> um, but because it was the first thing in pain in my, like came in my mind, I'm, I'm exploring why would I want to steal that? And I think maybe it's the idea of like, I'm putting out a lot of content, like yeah. you know, either audio video, yeah. just like yeah. a lot of things into the ether, like maybe a little compilation, <laughs> like, you well, know, you people, voice, man. You, people, I'm like, you like, got to play this for people. Like, let them hear, let them hear that, it again. Um, yeah. Did you hear about that? Uh, that Anthony Bourdain documentary where they like, there were a couple moments apparently where they like had enough of audio of him talking that they AI'd his voice a little I, bit. I did hear that. I didn't read everything on it, but I did see the, 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 uh, the headline. They got to be able to do that with you, man. I mean, at this point, you got enough shit. Even probably right now, you have enough recorded. I've said a, a lot of words. You could you could stitch some, I love you, family. Yeah. I will forever we got it right be here. here with you. Right? <laughs> we got it clean. I, I, I didn't put out, well, put out a couple of uh, things. But I, w- I will say is, you know, it's it thinking about um like i'm pretty good at thinking about all of the theatrics all of the like economics around death um the the only part that holds me up is the the uh that the uncertainty of it just the the, mm-hmm. the knowing that at every second of your life that you're you are conscious you are playing the lottery that shit always gets me in both of like this is cool and crazy kind of a way I'd like you to choose one memory to mm-hmm. relive because in my last one man show, there's this premise I offer, which is we're all in the afterlife. And in this afterlife, you get to fully relive one memory. Um, it's not that your others are wiped. It's just like a room that you can enter anytime and fully you're physically in every sense of the word you are back there, but you have to choose just one. If that were the case, what memory would you choose? Probably. Thanksgiving. 2000. Seven. Okay, so what? You're sixteen. Yeah. Man, that's a good fucking question, dude. <laughs> what's the What's the paint the picture for me? So my first thought was, I need to go to a memory where as many people as possible that I love and know are in the same place mm-hmm. at the same time. 
and the one constant were Thanksgivings. And so I, it took me a minute to get the date because at first I was like maybe Thanksgiving, like 2016. So my grandmother was still alive, but I was like, well, that's not really respectful to my grandmother's memory because she was on her latter years. And so I need to pick a year where she is more um, like lively and involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to go back too far because I want to make sure there, there are people who we've met sooner who are there. Um, and so, yeah, I would go probably to like a Thanksgiving around like when I was 15 or 16, um, you know, all my siblings are in the same place. Um, my mom and my grandparents, extended family, all of my grandmother's house is probably the, the house that I most can recognize, or remember, you know, it was, it's been in my family my whole life. Um, Where is it? You know, uh, it's over in Peel Hill. Okay. Uh, so like the southeast side of the city. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that was the traditional house that we went to. And so, yeah, because at that point, it'd just be enough uh, faces still in the room. Uh, but that's a good damn question. So how many people are we talking total? Oh, here? shit. Probably like 50. Probably okay. like 50 people throughout the day. You got uncles and cousins and people you only see on Thanksgiving. Um, you know, at that point, you know, I'm old enough that I'm at least funny and cracking some jokes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so, so yeah. But so yeah, is it in that day, probably at like, you know, right when you're about to like say grace or something. Okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not really down to say grace. At least that's a moment when everybody is like there and everybody is like their face is available and you can just like clearly see into everybody's face. We're all in the same room. We're holding hands. Like there's there's a closeness in that moment and the an anticipation because you're about to eat all this food. Uh, and so if, if if we had to whittle memory down from like, you know, a whole day to like you can only capture a couple of, you know, you know, two minutes, I'd probably take that time when we saying grace. I mean, I was willing to give you the whole day, but I like that you got but specific. No, I, I, I definitely take the whole day. But I like that. Mo- I mean, that moment is really nice because because I was wondering, is it? does it matter that it's this specific year or are you being approximate in that? Like, nah, it, it matters. Cause there was, there was like a period after like my, like my mom and my stepfather dissipated where we were doing Thanksgivings with my mom in Atlanta for a few years. And so mm. not as many people are there. Okay. And cause I was like, man, I, I might. So at first I was going to be like, I think would have been like uh, Thanksgiving 2015. Cause that's right when I'm coming back. I'm pretty sure all of my siblings were there at this point. I'm smoking weed. So at least every time I go back to the memory, I'm drinking. I get high versus 16. I'm not. But I was like, nah, at that point, my grandmother is like pretty into like into her dimension. I'm like, I couldn't even for all of those things I'd get to do as an adult in the memory. Every yeah. time I got to go. Back, right, 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 right. Um, You'll sacrifice I, substances for a lively grandma. I, for for the stories and the, and the energy and the uno. With my grams, I'll take. Okay, that. the Uno. All right, because mm-hmm. it's cause that's what I was wondering. Are there, and that's why I like this grace moment because it makes it clear to me that it's that presence mm-hmm. that matters more than anything. It's not like oh, and that's when so and so fell through the roof or yeah, no. some hijinks or something. It's just pure like that warm being held feeling of being around people you really, really love and are 
to me, that's the closest to on earth eternal feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's something about being in proximity to so many people you love at one moment that it, it, it usually transcends the thing that you're there to do. If it's a wedding or a funeral or a uh, family reunion, it's something about, you know, those moments already imbue it with a certain tone and a certain feel and a certain celebratory vibe. But it's something about being close to people who you can just like truly breathe uh, freely with that it is. It, it, it really is. It, it's, it's really nothing like it. Like the moments when me and all my siblings are in the same room is so rare now, but it just it feels so good. Would you call it love? Is there like a one word you can put on that emotion? I mean, love is the one that we've we've right, forced to right. to sit in that in that place. But it, it feels so much deeper than that. And I guess yeah. that's what love is. It's it's you know cellular and biological. I can I feel something below my skin when I'm next to my. I feel like an invisible tethering rope. When I'm that close to my to my family, I mean, I feel something physically. Mm-hmm. Hearing you over Zoom describe it, which is mm-hmm. fucking, cra- it's crazy. That's that powerful. Yeah. What's your coma? So now you're understanding why I explained to you my whole shit at the beginning, because. I just mean metaphorically for you, what is a moment? And it doesn't have to be something epic or grand. It can be split second mundane. But what is a moment for you where you can look back and be like, okay, before that, I was one person. And after it changed me in this way. Hmm. That's a real good question. Like a crazy moment is or it's not crazy but it was like a low-key moment is when i heard erica by doing andre 3000's hello yo yeah for the first time oh my I, god i had was after it was like after i'd ended like a really long uh relationship like a maybe like seven years ago <laughs> and was really like it was like one, it was like like my first really major relationship. It had lasted some years. It was, you know, it was great and uh, rocky and a lot of love and a lot of, you know, ups and downs and some really fun moments. Like it was, you know, it was like a young, youthful, like productive relationship. There wasn't a lot of toxicity in it. Um, and yet when we kind of mutually agreed to part ways, there was, it was the first time I'd really felt what that, like untethering from a person was like, mm-hmm. and what that that heartbreak was like, mm-hmm. and you know you're still working through like what what it means to have a partner, and like like you still like coming up in this socialization of like relationships as possession, and you being somebody's and somebody being yours, mm-hmm. and, and what that means, and was well, something about hearing that Andre three thousand and Erica Badu or Erica Badu and Andre three thousand hello, mm-hmm. uh, you know that. Um, I don't want to get the the melody wrong. Um, hello, hello. Don't hey, change. Don't change. Squirrel. Yeah. 
Don't change for me, baby. Don't change. Ah, oh, man, I want to get the lyrics right. Um, I got the song right here. Hold on, let me pull this up. Yeah, yeah, do it, do uh, it. There was, there was a moment in this it. This is from the Can't Use My, this that Can't Use My Phone mm-hmm. mixtape, right? Yeah. Is, was that, that can't be seven years ago. It came out, let me see, go to show album. Would have been like, yeah, 2015. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, November 27th, 2015. Okay. And wow, that yeah, and so I remember the relationship had ended months earlier than that. Um, but I can't help the baby. See you, see you. Oh my god. As much as I do, they for granted that you're always there. Oh, take for granted that you just don't care. Sometimes it's just too hard to see it through, babe. And I swear, it's important to me. That you know you are free. Cause I never want to make you change. For me, but don't change, don't change. Square. For me, babe, don't change. It was something about hearing that for the first time that. It just put the pain I was going to through in perspective. It forced me to ask myself some questions about like, why was it so hard? What was I holding on to? How had I been socialized and trained to process relationships? Even to the point of like, you know, I started having days where I was like craving there to have been this like big moment of like, I need something to point to, to say, this is the thing Mm -hmm. that wrecked everything. Or this is the reason I need something versus like just to come and to understand that like, we are not one another's possessions. You are free. You, you and I are not in ownership of one another. And a, a relationship is a, is a constant set of choices to intermingle, to follow, to to walk with, to choose to be with somebody, and you know, it's it's really beautiful and powerful to to look at them and want them to be ongoing and everlasting. But the one thing that is certain is that they will end, and that is the type of end that we talking about, like one of us going into be planted as a tree or it ending Mm -hmm. for, you know, the millions of reasons relationships can end. And that song just helped me to really process like ending relationships and how that is, is going to be a difficult and hard process, but it, um, it doesn't have to be all consuming. It doesn't have to be looked at negative. And, And it's not to say that, you know, I want people to hear this and think, Oh, I, I should be happy if something is ending. No, I, you know, fight for the relationships that you yeah, need yeah. and push through them. But, you know, whether it's friendships, intimate relationships, family, like there, there's got to be a certain level of like, it's important for me that you know you are free 
And I never want you to change for me. I, w- I want you to, to, to either change or not change for you. And that, that song just said everything I needed somebody to say to me at that moment in my life being, well, I might've been like 24 maybe at the time. And yeah, it, it was maybe 23 or 24 at the time, whatever it was. It was, it was just a song I needed when it came out. And I'm, do you feel like yeah. you were holding on to those um sort of ingrained feelings before that and but questioning them and feeling dissatisfied and then hearing that song just crystallized the new feelings that were growing? Mm, it yes, and it it really felt more like I just needed someone to articulate it's okay that wanting what's best for you and somebody else is like letting them go and not in a hope that they'll come back or anything, but just Mm -hmm. the understanding, like it doesn't have to be anything more than just, it was time. It it, it was time. And that, that's what I was holding on to. And so I was, I was wanting to like rationalize, like there's a big falling out or there was this big, incompatibility or something when it was like, nah, I mean, it was just, it was time. Like you had a very mature, beautiful thing and it's, and it's over now. And that's, that is okay. Like in itself. And that song just somehow said it to me at the right time. Well, and it's got to factor into it that the people singing that song have had that in their lives. I was like, they are coming together. They got a right. kid. They've had other relationships. They had a very public relationship. Like it, yeah. The story of those two people making the song, you know, the fact that it was a cover, but also a new take on a cover, like almost like a remix, was everything about it was just was so beautiful. And you know, yeah. Now that I'm in a in a new relationship with with a fantastic partner. You know, I, I still try to bring in that same sense of like your freedom, who you are, your growth detached from me is going to always be um, most important. It's something I, I push forward. And so I try to make choices in that vein and in that energy um, and, and meet people where they are and let them know that who they are is is good enough. The, the choice to be with somebody is the choice to accompany somebody on their journey, not to dictate how fast that journey moves or where that journey goes all the time. And that that's a, a scary, that's scary, but that's, you know, that's what I think it is. That is the show. Thank you so much for listening. Check those show notes for where you can find Jacoby for how you can follow me Please help keep this show ad-free by going to patreon.com slash Dave Marr. You can donate for anywhere from 3 to 15 bucks a month and get all sorts of different extras, including the extended version of each episode. Tell your friends, and until next week, remember, you are a mist. Miracles, you can do them, have faith. You are human, only human, and human beings, they do miracles.